Live free. Be consistent. And number three, just three things I'm asking. Make sure you celebrate and enjoy God's gift of salvation every single day. You know, um, it's amazing that through the cross, Jesus sealed with the blood of his own life a covenant that I will have eternal life with him. My sins are forgiven. I will be with him forever and ever and ever. And nothing can ever change that. It's amazing that I can have that and still be upset and depressed and down and stressed and anxious. It's amazing. I have to keep going back there and realize how big it is. And David in Psalm 51, you know, none of my mess ups changes the fact that if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. So uh, Psalm 51 verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. I'm asking you every day to get up in the morning, say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. If you shouted for Argentina, if you're an Argentinian fan, right? And I sat you down now and I played that final for you and said, come, let's watch the final of the World Cup. Surely you would watch it a little bit differently now, knowing what the result is already. Or would you still go, ooh, ah, yeah. I'm worried. I wonder if we're going to make it. You see, in our Christian lives, we still have to play the game, but we already know the result. We're not playing for a result. We have the result. Jesus has won. He's conquered our sins. He's conquered death. We know through the work that he's done, we have salvation. Nothing can change that. The result is there. We still have to play the game, but we don't play the game like, I wonder if we're going to make it. Amen. So, what's the three things you're going to tell your neighbor to do? Tell them quickly. Uh, you guys are better preachers than me, man. <laughs> awesome. Good. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for what you've already done. We've sung of your faithfulness, and it's true that you never leave us, you never forsake us. But Lord, here we are in a brand new year, and you have plans. You have purposes. You want to bless us. You want to bless our city through us and beyond our city, Lord. You want to prosper our marriages, our families, our jobs, everything we touch. You want to be part of it. Every step, you want to be there. You want to be with us, for us, ahead of us, behind us, around us, next to us. So this morning, we thank you for your words. When we come together like this and we listen to your words, we give you our full attention. Nothing's going to distract us. We're going to listen for your voice. Have your way. Open our ears. Fill our hearts. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together like this. Encourage one another. Look at your word. Be filled with your spirit. Come and do it again, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Forging virtue. Check the time. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. You can read it any version you like. But this is where the phrase comes from. There's more to come. Amen? 
That's what it says there. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we hemmed in with troubles. Uh, because we know that troubles can develop passionate patience in us. You might feel completely stitched in by trouble. You might feel everywhere I'm looking, there's opposition and struggle and trouble. Our nation, our country, our city, people might feel like that. But this says that in that trouble, God can develop in us a passionate patience. Isn't that, I love that phrase because it's like there's patience, but there's passion at the same time. It's not a, a, a grinning and bearing it. And then it says, and how that patience in turn, there's this little process over time. If there's passionate patience and you can, in trouble, the NIV says, endure it. It forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. I want to say this and declare it. God is busy working. God is not surprised. God is not lacking in resources. God is not running out of options. God is not panicked, worried, afraid, anxious. He's God. He's going to do something. We want to be ready for what he does next. In alert expectancy like this, we never feel left shortchanged. I want to say this again. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not. You can never be a victim. How can we, when he's given us eternal life, still say we're victims? Amen? There's this little quiet amen from Chloe. I can hear her somewhere. Thank you, Chloe. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. And so this is this phrase, forging virtue. It's what God is doing with his people. He's forging into us virtue. And the first thing I just want to say here is that we need to define the word virtue. Because if I say virtue, you might think of the something else. I don't know, the three sisters of mercy and this pious, holy, I don't know, I don't know what comes to mind when I say virtue. But the dictionary says uh, that virtue is behavior that shows high moral standards and synonyms for it is righteousness and honesty. The NIV uses the word character, character. Now, I have, a, I have to confess this, I have a slight problem with that definition. Because, number one, let me just get it out there. I do not have a 100% perfect moral high standards all the time. Just, you don't look shocked. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> My first problem with, if, 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 if virtue means just keeping rules to a high standard... I know I can't do that perfectly all the time. That's the problem I have with this. The second problem I have, if that's our only definition of virtue, is that most people who claim and push and press for these high standards, somewhere they themselves don't keep it. And so to have high moral standards but not have Jesus actually also means nothing. 
And so I felt like God said to me, the best example ever he's given us of godly character or virtue is Jesus Christ himself. Now that makes a whole lot of sense to me because what God wants to forge into you and forge into me is more of Jesus. And Jesus, virtue according to Jesus is not just the high standards and morals, but it's the attitude and the heart and the wisdom and the good judgment. I, legalist is not a word I would ascribe to Jesus. It's his kindness, the way he dealt with every part of life, the heart, the love, the, that's virtue, that's character. Virtue is Jesus. And what God wants to do in times of trouble is forge into us more of Jesus. And you cannot say, well, I can't do that. No, you were created. You were destined. You were designed. You were made to carry the very image of Jesus. He can forge it into you. Sorry, I haven't had two weeks of preaching. I'm pumped. So good luck to you, Oaks. <laughs> The second thing then is that uh, in this way, it helps me to understand the value of virtue. Because a lot of people say like, well, if I'm born again and I'm saved now, giving my heart to Jesus, why must, I, why must God still forge virtue into me? Especially when you see how hard it is to get this into us. It's not easy. Well, first of all, virtue holds eternal value. Did you know that? Eternal value. Your character and changing your character. And let's just not confuse character and personality. Because according to the scripture, character must and can change. Imagine if I said, hey, it's just my personality to lie. It's just who I am. I'm just like that. No. No. I get it, we have different personalities. Character is something God has to change and it, it, it needs to be forged more into the image of Jesus. Are you there? Consistent there. Eh? So if you said amen just now, say it again. Good. <laughs> There's eternal value. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, it's not just the work I do. It's not just my possessions. It's not just my achievements. All my work will be tested and if there's no love, it'll all mean nothing. So if I get to heaven, I say, God, I've preached here, and I've done that, and I've helped this, and I've done that. And God says, okay, let's put it through the test of virtue. Let's, put, let's weigh it on the scale. How much of Jesus is in that? Well, if there was no love, it all means nothing. Zero. Amen? And so character and virtue has eternal value. Welcome back, my son. Nice to see you. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Each man's work will be tested with fire. It will be tested with fire. Character virtue has value in this life because it, it changes the way I make decisions. And so that will lead to peace and, and prosperity and God's blessing and all that because I make decisions from who I am. And thirdly, it has value in spiritual warfare. You know, it's the only thing the devil's really afraid of. Jesus in you. There's a story in the, in the book of Acts of these seven sons of Sceva. And they, you can say what you want. You can do the ritual. You can do all that stuff. It doesn't scare the devil. You know that? They said, come out in the name of 
Jesus whom Paul preaches, he said, who are you? It's the character and the virtue. Is Jesus in there? That's the only thing the devil submits to. It's not just the name of Jesus. Let me say that. Not because there's a problem with the name of Jesus. But if you're using the name of Jesus and there's no Jesus in you to back that up, it absolutely means nothing. Be consistent. Amen. Come on now. <laughs> uh, it gets better. I know some of you are saying, like, couldn't you have preached on how to get the tenfold blessing of God multiplied in your life six times in 2023? We'll get to that message. This is important stuff. How does virtue come to us? Now, here's the problem, you see. If you're sitting there and you're saying, like, yo, this sounds scary. And you're saying, like, you know what? I just, I've got to try harder. I've got, to, I've got to be better. You've probably done this 23 times this century. It's 2023. You're probably at the beginning of every year. I've just got to be better. I've just got to try harder. I just mustn't be like that. I just mustn't. I just, I just, you're probably a little bit discouraged. If you've tried 10 steps to a better you and you're still stuck with the old you, you probably want your money back for that book. <laughs> I'm telling you, without God's help, can't change your character. That's good news. That's good news. And yeah, the way God does it often is you're hemmed in by troubles. You need passionate patience. You need to allow him to do what he's busy doing. And guaranteed he's doing something in you right now. Those troubles, I'm not saying God caused them. I'm not saying God caused them, but I'm saying they are there and it's an opportunity for more of Jesus to be forged into you. And if you, if you had a, you know, you don't have to wait for anybody to do this. You don't have to wait for the new year. You don't have to wait for a new start. Right now, I'm telling you, there's stuff in your character Jesus is working on. And I'll explain later, there's a reason for it. There's a reason why he's, he's doing this. But look at Philippians chapter 2.13 just quickly here. This is biblical. For it is God who is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Isn't that amazing? Virtue is not just high standards. Virtue is what pleases God. And Jesus pleases God. And so God is forging Jesus into me because that pleases him. But God works Jesus into me in those times. Hebrews 13, 21. And may he work in us what's pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever watched Forge and Fire? Have you watched that program? Who? Well done. Like at least I didn't say like Seven Delon or something else. Like that would be a problem, right? But Forged in Fire is a program where they take four bladesmiths, they give them the same kind of steel, and then they're in this forge, they take it, they have to take that steel through its process. They heat it up, they, they hammer it out, they shape it, and then they, they um, quench it they, to make it hard. And the properties in the steel changes through the forging process. 
but they know there's a test coming. And so you see these guys forge out their blades, and then the test comes. First one is the strength test. Pah! They hit against a coconut or a, I don't know, all sorts. You must go check it out. And sometimes that blade loses its edge, you know, it gets chips in. Sometimes there's a catastrophic failure, like they go boom, and the blade goes bang. Not quite like that, it's different sounds, but it's something <laughs> similar. It's really hectic stuff. And then other times, then there's the sharpness test, because after the strength test, there's this, have you still got that cutting edge? And I tell you with so many Christians, guys, so many followers of Jesus, I've just seen catastrophic failures in marriages, in moral, but long before that, there's a crack in the character not being worked on. Others have completely lost their sharpness of their edge. They're not involved in church. They're not doing anything. They, they're just floating. They've given up on changing their character because actually they've given up on the dream. And you know those blades, it doesn't matter how fancy it looks, you know the test is coming. And so how does character get into me? I'm telling you, if you haven't been tested, it's coming. Without this God forging into me more of Jesus, I am weak, I am vulnerable, I'm susceptible. We don't know the tests that are coming and that are lying ahead. But there's a reason why God right now is dealing with my character and saying, Donnie, I need Jesus into that area. I need Jesus into that space. And you know that steel, it's not on the surface, it's below the surface. It's what nobody else can see. That's where Christ is forged into me. I can't pretend and put a fancy handle on my blade and make it shiny. When the test comes, it's the, what's inside the metal and the properties of that metal that's either going to stand up to the test. Boom, I was going to hit this thing harder, but my lid's going to fly. Like, bah. Shwing. Have you still got your edge? Have you still got your strength? <sighs> Do you know there's a difference? Um, theologians use these fancy words, and you can sound fancy to your friends if you want to, but this is important to understand. There is, through Jesus Christ, we have an imputed righteousness and an imparted righteousness. Amen. Be consistent. Do it again. Amen. Anyone else? <laughs> There's an imputed righteousness and there's an imparted righteousness. And it sounds very fancy and all this, but all it means is this. Imputed righteousness means righteousness that's assigned to me. It doesn't mean it's mine. It's, I think there's an accounting term like that as well. Clever people can help me here. But it's, it simply means to be assigned or credited or attributed. So what Jesus did is, you know, if you read Romans chapter 5, he took his righteousness, perfect, perfect, pleasing God in every way. And it was his own righteousness. I could never call that righteousness my righteousness. It was his. But he ascribed it to me. He credited it to my books. He imputed it to me. And so God says, because Christ's righteousness, I give you salvation, I give you eternal life, and you're not punished for your sins. Wow. 
But it doesn't stop there. He also gave us imparted righteousness, which means he takes that righteousness and he transmits it into me and he passes it on to me. And that's what needs to happen with my life until I see him again. He's putting more of Christ into me. Make sense? I can't be rewarded for the imputed righteousness. You know when we stand before God, because a lot of people say to me, no, it doesn't matter how I live my life. It doesn't matter how I, if I'm born again and I'm saved, it doesn't matter how I talk, how I live, how I spend my money, how, how my, my marriage, it doesn't look, because when I get there, I'll make it. I just got to make it to heaven. I've got news for you. You say that now, but I'm telling you when we stand before him, you won't be saying that. It will matter because there is reward in heaven. And he's not going to reward me for the imputed righteousness. That reward is salvation for everyone who believes. What he, what he rewards me for is the imparted righteousness. Yo, I'm pumped. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. It makes it all worthwhile when you're going through the hard times and the troubles and you're hemmed in and you're saying like, why is it that I still, I'm trying to do what Jesus would do here? Alrighty. So why am I starting with this message? <clears throat> you know, whenever you read about virtue in the Bible, even Proverbs 31 a virtuous wife who can find, she's more valuable than rubies. Rubies, one of the foremost sought-after precious stones. Virtue, character, Christ in me, more valuable than the most valuable precious stones. That's it, be consistent. Amen. Come on, people, you've got to keep up with... Uh, Where's radical there? I'll tell you why I haven't necessarily started with um, the hundredfold blessing of God for the year. And why He's going to bless us. I'm telling you He's going to bless us because He's always blessed us. Because He's kind and He's faithful and that doesn't change. I'm telling you. It's never going to change, ever. In all eternity, He's good, He's kind, He's loving. He's going to bless us. But I have a concern because as I've watched some of uh, God's people experience catastrophic failure or lose their cutting edge, I've watched how the, how the devil has approached this over the last year, a uh, couple of years. You know, these last three years for me have been a test. Okay now, whoa, slow down. <laughs> it has been a test for the church of Jesus Christ. It's been a test for, uh, and if, honestly, I don't want to generalize, and maybe you haven't been tested, so I, I understand that, but maybe, I'm sure you will be. But I tell you, it's been a test, and I, I am concerned, are we prepared and ready, because like that scripture in Romans says, there's more to come. I wish I could stand here and just say it's going to be, guys, this is it. This is the year of 2020 vision. It's all going to be clear. <laughs> I remember we're, we're preaching that. I'm not doing that in 2023. I'm just preaching what God's saying here, trying to. I'm saying like, hey, 
The tests might come, but the opportunities are there for more of Jesus. And you know, if there's more of Jesus, there's going to be greater blessing for us. You hear me? Psalm 66. Let's have a quick look at this. And I'm going to land here with three things. Three things. All in three is 2023. Last three years, it's been testing. Psalm 66. Go and read that psalm. Uh, It talks about how God set his people free in Egypt. In verse 8, it says, Let the whole world bless our God and loudly sing his praises. Our lives are in his hands. That's a good thing to remember, right? Our lives are in his hands. Our lives are not in our own hands. Our lives are in his hands. And he keeps our feet from stumbling. You have tested us, O God. You've purified us like silver. Remember God's testing. And can I just, when we talk about testing, don't think like this. Ooh, I said yes to Jesus. Now there's this endless circle of testing. I must get tested and tested and tested. And and in the end I pass. I make it to heaven. That's not the testing God is talking about. The testing he talks about is it it separates the things in my life that are worthwhile from the things that are worthless. It purifies. It separates. That's what it does. And so it says you've tested us. You've purified us like silver. You've captured us in your net. Laid the burden of slavery on our backs. Then you put a leader over us. When we went through the fire and the flood, I thought when you sang that song this morning, like when the flooding came, it was like I was waiting for when the looting came and the shooting came and the whatever else. But here it is even in the Bible. It was like, we went through the fire and the flood, but you brought us to a place of great abundance. One of the things... I realize when I, when I, and like I said, there is a slight concern in my life for people whose character are not changing. You know, I'm, we must, if you speak to the musos here, they, they're improving their skill. We're improving our preaching skill. We're trying. It doesn't look like it, but we're trying. No amens there. You, you can improve, you can build, you can build something, you can build a ministry, you can build all that. But if your character is not changing, it's concerning. And if we lose our edge, or if there's this giving up on the dream, it concerns me. Because I think, you see that little last part of the verse there that says, you brought us to a place of great, place of great abundance. It's when you give up on the dream, you stop changing your character. Most people who haven't changed for a long time, if you ask them what's the dream, they won't be able to tell you. Because if you don't have a dream, there's no reason to change. When I got married, dream come true. Because of the dream, I've had to change. You don't believe in the dream? No change. This is who I am. You're happy with it? Take it or leave it. See how that works for you. You have a dream. And you know what I've realized? Um, this is just, I want to just remind you. I found this scripture. It's an amazing one. Um, Psalm 105 verse 19. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. 
I want to say this. Some of you need to be reminded there is a dream. You know, God hasn't made the dream smaller because of budget cuts or load shedding or you made some mistakes and he's had to just make the dream a little bit like, okay, let's just make it. No, no, no. From his side, nothing's changed for the dream for your life, the dream for my life, the dream for his church in this time, in this world. Nothing's changed. But it will require a little bit of passionate patience sometimes. And in the meantime, guess what he's going to do? Test our character. Test our character. So, keep the dream alive. Don't lose sight of the dream. It's one of the biggest strategies of the enemy right now. Remember when COVID started, I said to you guys and girls, I said, I'm really asking God to show me where is the devil attacking right now? Because it feels to me like warfare has changed. And you know, I believe warfare has changed. And you know that even the way nations wage war has changed. You know that they call it modern warfare. It's no more like World War II. I almost said chapter 2. World War II, I don't know why. This happens when you preach. World War chapter 2, they were in verse 1. They were in the trenches. And it was honorable. And that's how you learn to wage war in the trenches. I want to warn you that warfare has changed. These days, a, guy can, a soldier can sit behind a computer and wage war through cyber warfare. It's a thing. And he can cripple infrastructure and cause economies to crash to make life miserable for the enemy so they give up on the dream. I'm just telling you. For me, this is a reflection. What we see in warfare is a reflection of the spirit realm. I'm telling you. Believe it or not. Not Ripley's. My version. Fake news. Misinformation is what they call it. Lying is what it is. They're waging war through expert lying. <laughs> and it's not like blatant lying. It's 20% lying 80% kind of true. Not so easy to discern. Hello? Do you know they have what they call deep fakes? It's, it, they have technology now just to impress you guys a little bit. They can put your face onto, I don't know, someone else's body, and it can look like you doing something and look real impersonating, misinformation. Warfare is completely changed. What about drones? It's, it's vehicles that are remotely controlled, so you're detached from the war. It doesn't even feel like warfare. You're sitting in an air-conditioned room remotely controlling something that's absolutely deadly, <laughs> causing absolute destruction. You know what I think? If you ask me, where's the devil right now? I'm not going to say where you live or anything like that. How many of you have seen him face to face? It feels like he's so far away, and yet you see the results of him. Like it's just devastation. It's like he's got this remote control war that he's fighting. That you feel like it's not the devil, but you're struggling with the results. It's deadly. You know, the, the, the way that the demonic world, and if you don't believe there is a demonic world, I think you're crazy. I just let me just say, and but you're entitled to have your own opinion. Of course, you're free. 
The way the demonic world gets into our world is through ideologies, through philosophies, it's through ideas, it's through thinking. And there are four basic areas. Number one, our thinking about God. Do you know that in our generation, there is more ideas hitting our minds than any generation that's ever lived on the planet? Ideas about God is hitting our minds constantly. And it might feel like the devil, you know, those ideologies are double Ds. You know what that is, right? Devil drones. I'm just like, R175 DDs, I don't know. Devil drones. Just an idea about God. That's 70% true, but 30% not true. And you, you think it, and that idea becomes a stronghold, and that stronghold becomes a harness, and before you know it, you're, you're, and you know, he's using the world, his zombies. Honestly, they don't have a clue what's going on. They just eat up whatever ideas come constantly and just following it around. You know, one of the biggest strategies I think that's happened over COVID, and I'm just, I'm just offloading a little bit. One of the ideas that I think the devil is using is that the people of God and the world are the same because we've gone through the same thing. We're all the same. We are not. God doesn't deal with us the way the world deals. We don't think about God in the same way the world does. So if your ideas about God is coming from the world, I'm telling you, it's not in line with the Word of God. Our th the, the, so ideas and thoughts about God, ideas and thoughts about you, our identity, our sexuality, our purpose, what we belong, where we belong, what we're supposed to do. If those ideas are not coming from God, I'm telling you there's at least 30% that's not true. Probably much more by now. Ideas about other people, and, and in that I include marriage, family, children, neighbors, people, church. All that is about your ideas about other people, and our ideas about the world is about our jobs and wealth and all those things. Are you there? It starts with an idea. That's why we need God's wisdom. We need God's good judgment. We need Jesus' character in us to be able to discern these things. Stay alert. 1 Peter 5.8 Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone who de to devour. Like I said, some of my friends, some of people that are good people that have catastrophically failed over this last season or have lost their cutting edge, you go back and you see where did this start? And it started with an idea about God and themselves and others and the world that wasn't true. And they allowed that to grow and it became, and then now suddenly, boom, devoured taken out. We cannot afford, not one more, please Lord. Not one more. I'm saying to myself, you know, when you see that, you say to yourself, whoa, how, where, how am I doing? And that, that's when I begin to say, like, Lord Jesus, please, that thing you're putting in me, as uncomfortable as it is, as hot as the fire is right there, as, as 
hard as that hammer, clink, clink, clink. You know, God just doesn't stop, you know. He loves you. He loves you enough to not stop. You say, please stop it. He's no. Stop it? No. A sword? No. It's for you. Go back and I say, Lord, forge Jesus into that part of me. Let your righteousness become like my righteousness. If you think you're standing, be careful that you don't fall. What a scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you're standing, be careful not to fall. The last thing. So then how do I make sure that I guard myself against this thinking? How do I make sure? Well, number one, like I said, just don't lose the dream. Number two, be aware of the enemy. Be aware of these ideas coming from the world. Number three, God, the gift of his peace. That's really helped me. You know, when Jesus left the earth, he gave us a gift. If it's a gift, you can lose it. You know what I mean? You can lose it because you don't look after it. You can misplace it. It can be taken from you. It can be stolen if it's a gift. And what Jesus said there in, in uh, John 14, 17, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And like I said, a big weapon of the enemy is to bring anxiety and fear and guilt and shame. And those are all his games. But what Jesus says is, here's my gift. I give you a gift. It's my peace. And remember what he says. I don't give it like the world, which means he'll never take it back. If you don't have it, you put it somewhere, you've forgotten where it is. You know how that goes, right? No, where's the keys? Uh, you put it there. No, I put it here. Oh, in my pocket. You put it somewhere. You've got to go find it. Or you lost it. Or someone took it. Like Renault. You have to go find that peace. And so I've really, you know, I've really said, okay, Lord, when I have a thought about you, but that thought about you is giving me such anxiety and fear and, and guilt. And Lord, I, I, I've got to go and, because the peace that he gives me, he'll never take back. I've got to go find that peace. And you know, the only way you find peace is to find the truth. And so when that idea about God, oh, God has given up on me, and it makes me feel anxious, and it makes me feel afraid, I, I, I realize I don't have the peace of Christ. I've got to go find the peace of Christ. And I realize that thought is not God's thoughts. Does that make sense to you? You have to guard that gift. You have to say, is that gift with me when I think like this about myself? Some people say, like, I am such a terrible person. Sometimes I have to tell myself not to talk to myself the way I speak to myself. You got that, right? Not confusing at all. And I have to tell myself, you're not yours, you're his. You can't talk about yourself like that. You can't think about, the peace of Jesus is not in that thought. The peace of Jesus, you have to leave it somewhere to get there and, and, and not helpful. The way we think about other people is the peace of Christ there. Last scripture, Romans 6.20, the God of peace. 
will soon crush Satan under your feet. How's that? Peace crushes Satan under our feet. He's already under Jesus' feet. When I carry that peace about my thinking, it defeats him. Let's stand. Well done. Consistent people say amen. amen. Lord, we want to stay free. We want to be consistent. We want to rejoice in the salvation you've given us, Lord. We know you're forging virtue into your church. You know what the future of this world holds. But you are able to put enough of Jesus into us to overcome the world and everything it throws at us and to usher in the kingdom of Jesus over this time. So we don't look to the future with anxiety and fear. We know the end result already, Lord. We know you've won. <laughs> we know the result. We know. We, we're not playing the game anxious and tense, wondering, hoping we'll pass that test. No, Lord. You haven't put us on this earth for that. Jesus met the standards, imputed his righteousness to us. Now he's imparting his righteousness to us. We want to be those, Lord, that when we sing the name of Jesus, there is a spiritual consequence because Jesus is already shaped in our hearts. We want to be those who speak with authority, not like the Pharisees and the scribes who just... Everything was outward. Everything was to impress man. Everything was to tick the box and meet the stand. No, we want our hearts to change, Lord. We want our character to change. We want to be more like Jesus, Lord. We cannot do it ourselves. It's a work of God. You work into us. We can't work into ourselves. But Lord, what you ask from us is endurance. What you ask from us is passionate patience. What you ask from us, Lord, is to be yielded so we're ready for what it is you're going to do next. We know this year you're going to do great things, Lord. We know you're going to do beyond what we can ask or imagine. Every family and every marriage and every home and every person, every individual standing here today who is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ have our salvation guaranteed already. Until the time comes for you to fulfill your, your dream for us, you're going to test our character. You're going to work Jesus into us. There's more to come. But Lord, we thank you that the dream is far bigger than what we think. So will you make it clear to us, Lord, the thoughts about you that are not true? Right now, even as this... I'm sure you got some things racing through your mind right now. If it's, if it's not from God, Lord, I pray just shut it down in Jesus' name. Wherever we get those ideas about you, from the world, from the information that hits our minds, we say, sorry, God. 
Let truth prevail. Jesus is truth. Thoughts about ourselves, Lord, are not true. Give us the wisdom and discernment to, to drop that thought right now. Just drop it. Just let it, let it go. We're never going to think that again. It's not true. Thoughts about others, our family, our children, our neighbors, our colleagues, church life, all those things that are not true, we drop it. And about the world, Lord, we're not going to allow the world to tell us what the church should be. We're not going to allow the world to tell us what followers of Jesus should be. We're going to be shaped by you. We're going to be molded by you. We're going to be tempered by you. Put into us, Lord, the tempered steel of virtue. That even under the greatest pressure, the righteousness of Christ has been worked into me. I'm not pretending to have it. You've forged it into me. You've made it part of me. Do it, Lord, because your dream is, is big. I speak life even as we, we spoke this morning. Life over our city, Lord. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Not what the world wants. Not what the world says. Your plans. Your purposes. Not only over the church, but over our community, our city, our nation, our province, our continent even. Lord, dare we say, your kingdom come. Here on earth, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. And one last time, we'll say amen. Amen. We didn't give you coffee when you came in. Thank God we saved up for air conditioners, right? Timing is perfect. But there is cappuccinos. Please hang around and uh, yeah, chat and just get to know. We're trying to keep the doors closed to get the air cons a go. God bless you. Have a good week. Thursday. Thursday, 7 o'clock. Thursday, 7 o'clock. See you here.